Why apostolic? I'm going to deal with the with that subject tonight. Tomorrow night I will deal with apostolic divine government and divine order as revealed to us in the scriptures. Um, I'm going to speak about the government of God um, nationally, internationally, and in a local setting. I'm going to speak about the the function of an apostle, the function of a prophet, and speak upon the dual ministries of apostles and prophets. If time will permit, I'm going to speak about the destiny that God has ordained for his church. We'll probably go through half that. We'll come back again sometime and continue. Now, one of the purposes, one of the burdens I have today is that there's rising up a generation among us that know very little about apostolic truth. And therefore, um, I am being motivated in my spirit to impart this truth that God's so graciously given to us as quickly as we can again in a renewing ministry within the body. To particularly to elders, I would like to see our elders gripping this truth and begin to preach it in the local assemblies as a continuing ministry. And also the pastors also to to establish our present fellowships richly in this truth. Now, I want to take the basic text from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 11. And if you will pardon me, I'm taking my reading from the international version, but I've checked these with the King James Version, and if there's any difference, I will quote both versions. And the text reads, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished or which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The question to be focused upon is why apostolic? Do we have a ministry that's different to other fellowships? Has God deposited within our fellowship a unique ministry, and this is not for any sense of pride or any sense of exaltation. Have we been called in the body to proclaim a particular revelation for the benefit of the whole body? It may, it may impress you that at the present time I am being asked by outside bodies, independent Pentecostal churches, to exercise an apostolic headship over those assemblies. This is something new, and it is this that quickens my, my spirit and my heart, is God beginning to open up doors for us into the body of Christ to reveal the order and the government of the church. And what some of these people are saying, would you invite us back into your churches so that we can see this order in operation, that we may see this practice being fulfilled we hear it from you, but we'd like to see the practical application of it, and we'd like to spend some time in your fellowship to see the operation of all this. And that puts us in a very, very difficult situation. The, uh, if this uniqueness is not there, if these people come in with a hunger and a thirst, they don't see the uniqueness of what we are sharing with them, then there will be a disappointment. So this should arouse us, and I trust that this week that this will be the the driving force in our um, sharing together 
that God may be enlarging our borders, that we may enter into some sectors of the body of Christ and that they may return uh, to share fellowship with us. So the question that we are focusing upon tonight is why apostolic? I think that a good place to introduce our subject would be to consider the meaning of the word apostolic. Now the word apostolic is obviously related to the word apostle. And an apostle, basically, is one who is sent with a distinctive message or with a distinctive revelation from God to proclaim and to convey to the nations of the world and in particular to the body of Christ. If we read again from another text, which is Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we will capture the fellowship of that early church. And this will give us a, a, a stepping stone into the question why apostolic. We read in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Notice that phrase, they continued steadfastly, or they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' doctrine. Now, the apostles had a distinctive message from God, a revelation or a vision, to convey to the body of Christ and indeed to the nations of the world. And in that first apostolic setting, we read that the converts would come in, were now devoting themselves, listening intentively, accepting the teachings and the doctrines of the apostles. Now, the ministry of the apostles and the prophets, that ministry is to lay down the teachings of doctrine of the faith at the foundation of the church. This is the purpose of the ministry of the apostles and the prophets as we have begin to introduce the New Testament and as we are going to look at that first apostolic church, that their ministry, their function was to lay down a foundation, a spiritual basis upon which the doctrine and the faith and the whole experience of the church would be built. And so we have a confirmation of this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. They were built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, is the foundation of the apostolic truth. Why am I apostolic? Because Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the doctrine of the apostolic church. Amen? Now this involves, when we talk of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, this first of all involves his person. Jesus, the God-man. It involves the triumphant accomplishments of redemption, that is the cross. It involves the, the truth of the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ as the God-man. And it involves his glorious glorification to the right hand of the majesty on high. So when we're talking about Jesus Christ, 
being the chief cornerstone of the foundation upon which the apostles and the prophets are preaching. In other words, they were preaching Jesus Christ as being the chief cornerstone of the doctrine and the truth. And involved in that teaching was the wonder of his own person and also of the tremendous works that he had accomplished. Now, I am not a builder, but I understand that the cornerstone is the center stone in a building from which every angle in the building is taken. From which every angle in the building is centered upon and to which every angle is related. So the chief cornerstone becomes the center from which all the angles of a building are measured from, from which all the that is related into building seems to be fitting into the center of a cornerstone. So when we think of Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone, he is the center of the truth. It's from him we receive all the truth and all the truth must be related to him, that when we proclaim the doctrines of the apostolic church, we are really proclaiming Jesus Christ in the fullness and the completeness of his person and in everything that he accomplished for us in his redemption. So that becomes a tremendous theme. Now the central dominance, therefore, in the apostolic doctrine is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He becomes the center, he becomes the substance, and he becomes the circumference of all truth. That our message and our doctrine and our faith and our teaching is to be centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we miss the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have missed the apostolic doctrine. And therefore, I'm apostolic because the doctrine of the apostolic church is centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All truth is centered in him. All truth is related to him. And all truth is unveiled through him. So he becomes the center of a message. And when we think of this, Jesus said, I am the truth. And I could expand that by suggesting to you that Jesus said, I am the center of the apostolic revelation. Now, Jesus again says something very remarkable in John chapter 14 and verse 26. And he said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. So we see also the necessity of the Holy Spirit in relation to apostolic teaching in unveiling to us the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, to be apostolic means this, that we follow the truth as revealed to us through the apostles and the prophets who center their teaching and their doctrine on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that the impression of apostolic teaching is Jesus. The impact of apostolic ministry is Jesus. When you and I come into an apostolic service, when we leave that service, our testimony should be, we have seen the Lord. It's not hearing a man and his message, but 
the whole, the whole declaration of apostolic ministry is centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we do not follow the doctrine of the apostles and introduce our own interpretations or assumptions, we cease to be apostolic. I think the dynamic of the fathers of our faith in their teaching, and I, I was introduced to the, to the latter um, days of, of some of these men, and they were dynamic preachers. They had not been to a Bible school. They were very unlearned and very crude sometimes in their expressions. They'd had no scholastic background, but when the anointing of the Lord came upon them, they were aptly dynamic. And I think that the, the dynamic factor of their preaching was derived from this fact that they were totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit and that they had captured such a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus became the very center of their ministry. Amen? And so to follow the doctrine, of, when we do not follow the doctrine of the apostles, we cease to be apostolic. When, secondly, we limit the teaching of the apostles and the prophets to the first century church and reject apostles and prophets as being a necessary ministry in the church today, we cease to be apostolic. Thirdly, if we ignore any of the doctrines laid down by the apostles, we cease to be apostolic. It's a very common word today, we have to be modern, we have to change our directions that we may meet uh, the demands of a modern society. If that means rejecting any of the apostolic principles laid down, then we cease to be apostolic. So we have to be indeed careful and sensitive that in any change we may take in, ad in adapting ourselves, that we do not ignore or reject any of the apostolic principles. Therefore, apostolic means accepting and fulfilling the doctrine of the apostles and the prophets, not only listening to it, but accepting it and applying the doctrine to our own practical lives and to the life of the church and to the dynamic of the church, the body of Christ, is not just a dogma, it's not just a theory, it's not just a, 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 a careless void teaching, it's a dynamic declaration of truth that must be accepted upon which we plant our lives upon and upon which we, we, we establish the whole direction of the church, which is the body of Christ. And, uh, and we must become an expressive revolution in our daily lives of the apostolic doctrine. If it does not become a living revelation in the life of the believer, then there's something wrong in the presentation of the truth and in the application of the truth. We should be identified in this world, just as the Baptists are identified by their particular teaching, and the Pentecostal church by their, by their particular teaching, the apostolic church should be recognized in the midst of the body of Christ because of the apostolic revelation and the expression of our revelation in our daily lives, and in particular in our fellowship 
of the body of Christ. Now let me just introduce again, that we're introducing thought tonight, the extensiveness, the extensiveness of the doctrine. The teaching of the apostles and the prophets, how extensive was it? Paul's final message to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 27, when he says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Or the King James says, the full counsels of God. In other words, Paul is saying, I have not neglected making known to you the total will and the extensive purpose of God. That's been my teaching. That's been my doctrine. I have made known to you the fullness of the will and the purpose of God. And then in verse 28 of that same chapter, he says, keep watch. He talks to his elders. He says, keep watch over yourselves. And all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, there are two very, very stupendous things there. Paul is giving a final declaration to the elders. He will soon leave them and be on the way to Rome. And he gathers the elders together. And he says, I have fulfilled God's will in your midst. I've been known to you the full counsels of God. I'm imparting to you now the responsibility. He talks to the elders and he says, I'm imparting the responsibility of continuing this doctrine. And he says, overseers, you proclaim it. Pastors, you proclaim it. Proclaim the doctrine, proclaim the teachings that I have made known to you. And then he talks to the shepherds, he says, and you apply it. You elders, you apply to the lives of, 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 of the members of the body of Christ. You, you, you pastors, you proclaim it, you make it known. You elders, listen. And you see to it that you apply this teaching and this doctrine to the lives of every member of the body of Christ. So that as the body is being exposed to the continuing doctrine, so the church will be built up in the doctrine. Now the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The prophets here are the prophets of the Old Testament. And the apostles here are the twelve apostles of the Lamb. There is a distinction, there is a difference here. The present apostleship or the headship of Christ are now for the building up of the body. The present prophetic ministry in the church is for the building up of the body. The foundation has already been set. And the foundation was set by the apostles of the Old Testament. This is why when we come into the Acts, the apostles, the teachings of Jesus, he was continually saying, as the prophets have said. And he was confirming his teaching by the declaration of the prophets of the Old Testament. And so, and then he chose 12 apostles. And those 12 apostles are referred to in the book of Revelation as being the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And they are destined to, to, to sit on 12 thrones. And they, their ministry is complete. But now there, there has been birthed into the church from the headship of Christ. We'll talk about this in a moment. Uh, 
the apostleship of the headship of Jesus and the prophets of the headship of Jesus. And this ministry is for the building up of the body of Christ. Now the foundation that the apostles have laid becomes the bedrock. It's the bedrock. It's the security. It is insoluble. It cannot be removed. It will stand every test. The bedrock of the truth, the doctrine. It's not invested in Rome. It's invested in the glorious person of Jesus Christ who is the essence or the substance of the prophetic. The prophet spoke of the coming of Jesus. The apostles established his coming. And that united ministry became the bedrock of the doctrine upon which all the teaching of the church is to be built. And so the bedrock is for the development of the truth. It's from the foundations now. We gather the truth and we develop the truth out of the foundation. Our teaching now is related to the truths of the foundations. And we build our present doctrines in relation to the foundations that have been already laid, which Paul refers to as being the full counsels of God. Therefore, to be apostolic means that we know and we understand the full will, the full counsel, and the full purpose of God. Are you apostolic tonight? Do you know, as a member of the Apostolic Church, as a pastor in the Apostolic Church, as an elder, do you know the full will? Do you know the full counsel? Do you know the full purpose that God has willed concerning His church? That's the challenge. Now come back again to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. These are keys. See, I'm talking now, what is God's will? What is the will in the doctrine? What is the purpose in the doctrine? What is God's plan concerning his church? If God has laid the foundations, and that foundation becomes the bedrock upon, upon which we now are going to build the full counsels of God, and the full counsels of God means the full will of God. And I'm now living as a member of the body of Christ in the stream of the full will of God. And as an apostolic member, do I understand, therefore, what the will and the purpose and the counsel of God is for this present time? And what's the ultimate counsel and purpose of will of God concerning the church? And Paul says that all this is according, that all according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ. So we are back again to the person of Jesus Christ. We can never take our eyes away from Jesus. I have tried to gather apostolic truth from books, and I say to you, I have failed. I've listened to multitudes of tapes to try and gather apostolic truth, and I have failed. And the reason for that is this. I can build messages on, on, on certain writings, but when it comes to apostolic truth, I cannot find or gather this from any writing. I can only gather it as I look at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can only receive apostolic revelation as I spend time in his presence. 
as I allow the Holy Spirit to come upon me and to unveil to me the glories of his person. And when the Holy Spirit does this to me, then I, am, I have a vision and a revelation of what God's will is concerning the church because he has already established it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now then from the verses we've already read, we see the development of the revelation and the doctrine of the apostolic truth in the church. Now to follow the full counsels of God, when Paul says, I, I did not shun to make known to you the full counsels of God, therefore Paul was saying, I've made it known to you, now you follow them. You live in them. You establish your ministries in them. Don't move from the councils. And Paul could say, you see, I received this from no man. Neither any man teach me. I received it by direct revelation from God. And Paul could say, if any angel comes from heaven and speaks to you a contrary message to that which I have spoken to you, let him be accursed. That is as sure as he was of the revelation God had given to him. And I believe, dear ones, today that we will come to that same place and be so convicted in our hearts that we become unmoved at the revelation God has given to us is of the Lord. Now to follow to live in the council. How can I live in the councils of God if I don't know them? How can I follow the councils of God if I'm ignorant of them? Indeed, I will lose the pathway somewhere if I lose the vision of the councils of God. And the councils of God are centered in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to be apostolic is to understand this. Now, that phrase, God's eternal purpose. My, I don't hear too much of this today, but I to hear it as a boy, every sermon, those men always were emphasizing God's eternal purpose. And God's eternal, see, we are, we are involved in we're not just coming to church to, to, to fulfill maybe an hour on a Sunday morning and go through a certain um, set direction. See, we need to realize we are involved 24 hours a day, seven days a week, four weeks a month, 52 weeks a year. We are involved in a span of a lifetime in the tremendous eternal current of eternal purpose of God, which, is, which will be unfolded to us every time we gather. That as we gather as members of the body of Christ, there is an unveiling by the Holy Spirit in our midst of the counsels of God. So that every meeting we come to is progressive and promotive. And we can look back upon a, a time of fellowship and realize that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have been coming from glory to glory, from a glorious truth into a greater glory of truth, and into a greater glory of truth, until we realize that we are being motivated in a tremendous eternal purpose. And this eternal purpose I'm talking about unifies eternity past, 
the present time and the eternity yet to come. Now, this is the importance of it. We're not just involved in something that merely affects our day, but we are involved in a purpose that commenced in the heart of God. Revealed in the Garden of Eden. Spoken of to all the patriots of the Old Testament. The whole history of Israel and the whole development of the Old Testament is enshrined in the, in the development of God's eternal purpose. The fullness of time when Jesus came was the unveiling of the purpose of God. The church is related to this eternal purpose. It didn't commence in our day. We were part of an eternal progression of the will of God. Now, a key that, that unlocks the fullness of such a glorious revelation is a key that unlocks all this. And I want to read some verses now from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17. Again, I'm reading from the International Version. And Paul says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, can you imagine Paul praying every day this prayer? He says, I keep asking my heavenly Father, and he says, the glorious Father, that the Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also, says Paul, that the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart, not the, not the eyes of your logic, not the eyes of your intelligence, although that will be affected. He said that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. See, dear ones, God has called us to a purpose. And the calling of that purpose is our hope. And that carries with it a tremendous sense of responsibility. And he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the sense, in, in the fact that God has called you, then he has put into your lives the riches of his glorious inheritance. That calling of God and the, uh, 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 and the purpose that you and I are involved in is God's inheritance within us. And that has been placed into our hearts by God, and I want to tell you, the most precious thing you have in your life tonight is the inheritance of God's purpose. And his incom incomparable great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength. So the key that unlocks our understanding to the counsels of God is this, that we need to pray that God will give to us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That is, we need the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the gifts. And thank God for the ministries of the gifts in the church. But Paul prays that each individual member may receive into their lives the Holy Spirit as a spirit of wisdom. 
And I suggest to you that when the Holy Spirit becomes our wisdom, you and I can be released in the Holy Spirit beyond the wisdom of men. We can break the barriers of our own, of our own minds. There's a limitation which I can understand. But when I'm in the Spirit, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he saw things that had been, things that were, and things yet to come. He could not develop those revelations from his own understanding, for they were beyond him. But in the Spirit, he breaks the barrier of human limitations, and he sees the majestic development of God's purpose. Now, that same Spirit is available to every believer, and we need to say, God, I want your Holy Spirit as my wisdom. That wisdom will not only unveil to us the purposes of God, but also become a, a, a spirit of wisdom within our lives, teaching us how to direct our lives in the wisdom. And also, the Holy Spirit, not only as a spirit of wisdom, but also as revelation in the knowledge of God. With all the ability of apostles, and with all the anointing of prophets, and with all the declarations of evangelists, pastors, and teachers, if that is all you are listening to, then I say to you tonight that your revelation and understanding is very limited. But if you are prepared to come into fellowship with God and allow the Holy Spirit to come upon you, that you may know something of the Holy Spirit depositing into your heart revelation and truth that will cause your heart to burn as you read God's Word, as God communicates to you. As God gives you a personal revelation. As God gives you a personal unveiling of the Word. And when you go into the sanctuary, what you hear is only a confirmation to that which God has already established wonderfully within your heart. Now then, when I think of the revelation again, Jesus Christ is the fullness of his person. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to be pinpointing it here. When last did you find yourself in the prayer closet? And you were reading God's word, and you entered into you couldn't. You, 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 it was a time when you couldn't place any burdens for the Lord. It was a time of fellowship and communion. You weren't asking for anything. You felt you were in His presence as a priest, and you wanted to minister to Him. And you felt that you were, the Holy Spirit silences you in the presence of God. And suddenly, as your mind is focused upon the Lord, the Holy Spirit makes known to you a majestic revelation of the person of Jesus. And before that revelation, all you can do is fall on your face in that prayer closet and pour your heart out in worship. Because there's come to you such a tremendous revelation of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be normal apostolic practice. That is not super-spirituality. That is not beyond the grips and the potential of 
Any member, it's not only the apostles who get this and the prophets. This, this is the normal experience of every member in the body of Christ. So that Jesus Christ in the fullness of his person is the Father's revelation unfolding the purpose of Father's will. Jesus in his person is God's letter to a church. And as we read the living letter of Christ, so we begin to understand God's will and purpose concerning the church and concerning our lives as individual members of the body of Christ. Jesus is the Father's declaration to the church of the fullness of his counsel, of all his predestined intention. What has God predestined to do with me? Well, let me look at Jesus. And I will see in Jesus God's predestined purpose concerning myself. What is my ultimate as a member of the body of Christ? God has spoken my ultimate in the person of Jesus. This is why I must come into relationship with Jesus. This is why I must come into his presence. This is why I must allow him to speak to me. And I need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want the knowledge of him. I need to know the pathos of God in my spirit. I need to know the cry and the groan. No wonder Paul said I might know him. The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering. Be conformed to his death. And Paul says, if I get into that realm, if I come to know him, then I know the glory of God concerning my own individual life. Remember, see, do we know the Lord tonight? Have I seen the Lord? Have I come into an intimacy with him? And my eyes have been opened and I've been, and I've been able to behold his glory. Remember the occasion with Thomas and John, and it's recorded for us in John chapter 14, verse 9. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, for anyone who sees me has seen the Father. And how can you then say, Philip, show us the Father? See, we're still begging, we're still ignorant. We can be in fellowship, but if we run in church order week after week and week after week and miss the essential. And the essential is to know Him. Know Him. And we, 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 we can be with Philip. We can watch the, the miracles and we can listen to the teachings and we can see all the mighty deliverances and yet not know Him. You see, I can know about Him and yet not know Him. God wants me to know him. Now, here's the key. What God has accomplished in the humanity of his son Jesus, in that Jesus brought the manhood of Christ 
from the cradle in Bethlehem and brought that manhood and set him in his manhood on the right hand of his throne and crowned the manhood of Jesus with glory and honor and dominion and authority. That is precisely what God is saying to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that what God did with his son is precisely the same purpose that God intends to fulfill in the church and the individual lives of the believer. And the scene of it all is this, there is a man in the glory glorified. And this is the scene now that hell can never destroy the purposes of God. That infernal energies of hell cannot withstand the power of God. That God is going to accomplish his purpose in the lives of individual members of the body of Christ to his own delight and to his own glory. So this is why we have to know Jesus, know him. Now then, in following this thought for a moment again, this is why the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 1 wrote, In the past God spoke to our fathers, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us in or by his Son. Amen? who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the world, or made the universe. Now, God spoke to the fathers in small ways and in, in, in fragments. He, he didn't speak them fully, but he, 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 he was progressing the revelation that he had to the prophets. The prophets were speaking in a very limited way. But when Jesus came, the writer Hebrew says, God has finally now and completely spoken to us in his Son. So Jesus Christ is the expression of all the Father's will and purpose. Amen? Therefore, because of this, because of this very interesting fact, I want you to, this is why the more, the more I come into Jesus, the more I begin to hear, the more I begin to understand, the more I see, the more I'm captivated, the more I'm excited. See, we're not excited enough. You know, we stand, we sit. This is not an unemployment insurance office, the church. I want to tell you, the church is, a, is an area of declaration of truth concerning the person of Jesus that lifts you out of yourself and causes you to magnify the Lord God until every emotion within you is aroused. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the key that unlocks the eternal counsels of God. Therefore, we have to know him we have to see him, we have to hear him, we have to understand him as the Christ of all glory. And this means I have to commune with him, I have to fellowship with him. And I say this on a daily basis, communion and fellowship with him. To be apostolic, therefore, is to hold that key in your hand. The key of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. The key of the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. And when you use that key, you open the door of, of, of the mysteries of God. Of the revelations of God. 
and the visions of God. Now then, apostolics are not made. You can't make an apostolic. I've tried. I'd make everybody an apostolic if I could. You can't make apostolics. Apostolics are born by the Spirit. All right? You can't even train apostolics. Try to train apostles. Try to train prophets. See, it's a gift. It's an indwelling, it's an impartation of God. And when you begin to consider things I'm saying to you tonight, you realize that this is not just a denomination, it's not just a building that people gather together, it, 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 it's a community of redeemed people who are being absorbed, absorbed by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got no time to criticize anybody. You've got no time to think of anybody else's weaknesses. You've got no time to sit back and look at things. 